Today, we are going to look a little bit at the way God moves supernaturally in power in our lives. And so I wonder, just to get us thinking about the way God moves, whether we could just turn to the person next to you and, and answer this question. When was the last time you saw God do something wonderful and unexplainable? Come on, one minute. You've got to talk fast because there's a lot to cover. Okay, does anyone want to give some feedback? Um, Fraser, can I just grab that mic down there? Okay, so I had an amazing experience this week. Um, we were in London uh, with our Ixus friends and a great sense of God's presence, incredible time. And I went to share something with a friend who was praying afterwards. This friend has a very strong prophetic gift. She sees what's going on. And she uh, said to me, um, there is, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, it was very personal, that is um, oppressing you. I hadn't mm. recognized it myself. I, I, I had no idea it was there. She prayed it off me, and that was it. And I have to tell you, something has gone. And this week, I know that I am different because of Jesus. Come on. Love that. Anyone else want to share? I love it, Barry. I love it. You've always got something. This is um, what I expected to happen today. No, seriously. I, someone, I just um, thought that someone was going to say, where's the miracle been in your life this week? And uh, it's great. I was just saying that um, when you tell your GP or someone in the medical profession that you're healed from asthma after 57 years, and they say, oh, you can't be. I say, I am. How did that happen? God did it. But I just want to be, not cliche, but every day is a miracle. Every day with Jesus is mm. a miracle. So when you don't see anything immediately happen in your life, you know, just, just, just contemplate what a miracle it is to have this, to be in this life, this world, worshipping Jesus in a free country, uh, in love and a, and a wonderful church. Yeah. So thank you, Lord. Come on. Love that. Healed from asthma after how many years? 57 years. That's amazing. I, I do love these stories. They encourage me when God will meet us at the point of our need in a way that, that we can't always explain unless God has stepped in and done something beautiful with us. In this uh, next part of Mark 7, uh, we're going to meet Jesus in... Uh, in an incredibly divine way. And he, he steps into people's experience in a way that he, he can only do so if he, he is God incarnate moving amongst us. He does things that only he can do. And so once again, we as Jesus' followers are challenged to live in this dynamic with Jesus where we are stepping beyond the natural into the supernatural ways of God to be able to serve him uh, with him in the equation making all the difference. And it's a challenge to us as human beings. It stretches our faith. In fact, this whole section of Mark is highlighting Jesus' divinity. Last week we saw Jesus have a confrontation with the Jewish leaders. And in, that, in the way he confronts them, in the way he starts to uh, reinterpret the word of God, he, he emerges as the word made flesh. 
And then the way he gathers with his disciples in the secret afterwards, and he starts to unpack the word, and he starts to explain what he means. He starts to talk about how we can live clean and where the real separation things come from, where the defilement in this world comes from. It comes from out of the heart, out of the things that are, are birthed in the heart and then find expression. And in this moment, in this intimate moment between him and his disciples, we see him as the wonderful counselor amongst his friends. Now, as we move this, through the second half of Mark chapter 7, we're going to see him emerge as Almighty God, the one who has authority over all uh, authorities and powers in the heavenly realms. We're going to see him as the Prince of Peace, the one that can step into your experience and restore peace in your life with a word. And we're also going to see him as the creator and redeemer of humanity. This is Jesus displaying his various aspects of his divinity as we move through the narrative. It is quite a chapter. There's also a bit of a pattern in this section of Mark that I want to draw your attention to. We've got this kind of uh, rolling set of events that seems to happen uh, in a rhythm through Mark. So in chapter 5, we begin with this dramatic deliverance story. It's the story of the Gerasene demoniac, if you remember that one, where Jesus goes across the, the lake and then he's met with this person who identifies himself as Legion. He said, I, the demons within him say, I am Legion. He's a man so full of darkness and so full of trauma and so full of, of wickedness and evil that, that he, he, he basically, his whole life has been taken over by this demonic force in his life. He said, we are many. And Jesus has this confrontation with the darkness that's in this man. And the darkness flees out of his life, goes into the pigs. They all end up in the sea. And then they're so freaked out by this that they ask him to leave. The people of that area ask him to leave because it's like, it's a bit much. It does sound a little bit full on, doesn't it? And like, we're a bit scared having you moving amongst us. So can you go? But the man who was, uh, who was demonized in this way, was left, it says, he, and he was sat clothed and in his right mind. Peace restored to that man's life. So we've got this demonic encounter with the demonic. Following that, we've got um, healing and miracle stories in response to faith, where people come to Jesus and say, would you heal me? Would you heal my daughter? Would you heal my friend? And Jesus stretches out his hand and he heals people. Then we've got this little bit of massive miracles where Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is beginning in Mark chapter 6. And then he walks on water. So huge, mind-blowing, how does that even work kind of miracles. And then we have chapter 7 where we have the confrontation with Jewish leaders. So you get halfway through chapter 7 and the cycle starts to go around again. So then we have this confrontation with the demonic realm. We have this big, powerful deliverance story, which is what we're about to look at. Then we've got healing in response to faith. So we've got these people that bring their friend who can't hear and he can't speak, and he gets instantly healed by Jesus. Then we have more massive miracles of provision, the feeding of the 4,000. Some people don't even know about that. The feeding of the 5,000, then again, feeding of the 4,000. He did it again. Uh, which is amazing. And then, of course, what comes after the massive demonstrations of the power and the divinity and the provision and the beauty of God, you get more confrontation with the religious leaders. So this same cycle goes around twice through this central part of Mark. And I believe that this tells us something about Jesus and his priorities. 
First of all, Jesus wants to set us free from the grip of the enemy. It's as though he does it and then he underlines, yes, this is what I do. I, I, I didn't just do it once, I'm doing it methodically. I believe that's what it says. He loves to set us free from the grip of the enemy. When Jesus shows up, we don't stay in dark places, but we can be released and established in his spiritual light and in his peace. He can break into our lives and restore peace in a, in a powerful and divine way. So that's the first thing. Second thing, Jesus loves to heal our physical bodies and he, he is moved by our faith in him. He is our creator. He is our restorer. He knows of what we are made and he knows our dysfunctions even before we bring them to him. And he is able to heal anything. Number three, Jesus enjoys a massive miracle. He likes a massive miracle. It, there is, I cannot really see any point of really him walking on the water other than just showing us who he is and uh, stilling their, our fears and saying, it's okay, I'm here. I'm amongst the wind and the waves in your life. I can walk up to you wherever you find yourself and I can say, be quiet, be still, and settle your life down. It's amazing. He loves a massive miracle. He didn't have to feed the crowds with five loaves and two fishes. He certainly didn't have to turn the water into wine when the wine ran out. It could have just been a bit embarrassing, but no, he loves it. Loves a massive miracle, and he loves providing for those who follow him and hang on his words. That's what the feeding of the five and the four thousand were. Number four, Jesus will not be confined to our religious expectations and our religious traditions. Jesus is the living God, and he is present among us here by the power of his Holy Spirit he will not create out of his church a religious institution. He is the living God, and he will reveal truth to us by the power of his spirit if we're willing to listen. So I love the way Jesus works. I love this rhythm that Jesus has within, had in his earthly ministry, and I believe that this is the same kind of rhythm that we should be observing ourselves as followers of Jesus. I want to experience more of his showing up amongst us and showing off his power and revealing his glory. Amen? You can't have Jesus without glory. Sometimes we get a little bit too lazy and we, we, we get used to having a, a slightly gloryless Jesus in our lives. Amen? We stop contending to see more and experience more and, and be part of that holy supernatural life of Christ. So let's focus in on the passage we're going to look at today because there is some wonderful gems that I want to bring out of it. I'm going to invite Rachel to come and read it to us. Because when Rachel reads, she reads with faith, and I love it. Thanks, Rachel. So it's Mark 7. Mark 7, and I'm starting at verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive that demon out of her daughter. First, let the children... Eat all they want, he told her. 
For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demons, sorry, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon had gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. We thank Rachel. Okay, let's, let's move through it. Has anyone got some questions already just from listening to this? about Jesus' words or actions. I've, I had a few as soon as I read, read through it. Verse 24, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it secret. Okay, another quick question. This is your turn again. Uh, so in twos, why do you think Jesus is stepping outside of Israel, to the region of Tyre, which is outside the boundary, and uh, why do you think he doesn't want anyone to know where he's staying? Okay, a little think. Um, anyone want to shout some out? I won't run around with the mic. Just shout it out. Don't know. <laughs> okay. So maybe it's like a covert mission into Gentile territory that we're supposed to only see later on, but he didn't want them to know. Okay, I like that. Anyone else? Yeah. So it's a timing issue. His timing hasn't come, so he doesn't want people to know about it because he's got more to do before the full revelation comes. Okay, yep. Yeah, you might want some downtime. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, uh, so maybe he, he knew that this woman was going to come and he specifically went there, a bit like he's done in other places where he goes for one place to meet one person, like the woman at the well and the garrisoned demoniac. He goes there, one person, then leaves again. I like that. He's had enough of wrestling with the hard-hearted Jews and decided he's going to try somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it could be any number of these things, you know. They, 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 who, who knows as far as the sort of manifold wisdom of God as to how this was all being weaved into the ministry of Jesus. It's, I think every time you, do you find this, every time you read the Gospels, you see something else, or you have a fresh question, or you look at it in a certain light, and you think, oh, that kind of reminds me of this, and maybe he was doing it that way. And I believe that there's often many levels that God can speak to us on. Um, certainly just before this, you know, you're encountering Jesus with tremendous pressure from the crowds. He's kind of like a rock star preacher. <laughs> you know, he's, he's 
he's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's fed the 5,000. He's, he's, he's got so many people clamoring to see him that he constantly has to try and run across the lake to have time with his followers. And they kind of run around the lake to find him on the other side. And he's constantly telling people, just, just don't say anything. Yes, I've just healed your leprosy, but just don't tell anyone. Show yourself to the priest and that's it. And he's trying to keep a low profile for some reason. Maybe it's a timing issue, as you say, that... That, uh, that he's got stuff to fulfill. He can't afford everything to come to a head just yet because there are steps that he needs to take. He's got a clear strategy. Um, and uh, it could well be also that he's stepped out to regroup. Um, sometimes when you're under the pressure of the crowds, I'm really going to avoid uh, a certain line of conversation. Sometimes celebrities step out uh, and try and hide because they can't cope what the media is doing to them. Uh, it's, it's a similar thing maybe going on here where there's so much pressure and expectation from the crowds. They're, so, they're trying to force Jesus down an avenue to become something and to do something, to be something, because that's what they need him to be. That's what kind of Messiah they want. And Jesus' view of what a Messiah is and the role that he's come to fulfill is very different. And people don't seem to understand it until after the resurrection. Yeah? So there are times in Jesus' ministry, especially when the crowd is pressing in, and it's all like revivals breaking out that Jesus disappears to the lonely places. And it's because he needs to get one-on-one with his father to understand, what do you want me to do? What are the next steps? And often when he comes out of the lonely places, he says, I'm called to go to the back streets. I'm called to go to the, the villages and the highways and the byways. I'm not called. My time has not yet come to be glorified as the king of the Jews. So anyway, all sorts of reasons. It's fun, isn't it? Just exploring it. Jesus has barely, I don't think he's even put his bags down, going for his little retreat. He's barely put his bags down, and this woman comes, throws herself at his feet, and says, please, would you heal my little daughter? I don't know what you're like when you're tired and you're in need of some me time, but I'm really amazed at how Jesus responds. Sometimes in my house, after a very long and stressful day's work, and then maybe uh, there's been a lot to deal with, you know, fallout from the school day and all of that that you deal with in between, and then you manage to uh, wrestle your little ones towards bed somewhere, and then you have an evening meeting, like a trustees meeting, where they tell you you're 18 grand down from last year, and and you try and work out how to reorder everything. And then you come home. And then there's just more things to deal with before tomorrow because we've got to make decisions. And there are times when I just say, look, I need a fresh day to deal with that one. I can't deal with another decision. My brain has gone to mashed potato. Do you ever feel like that? I think Jesus was kind of in this place when he arrived in Tyre. And he's just there. He just needs some time out. And immediately this woman comes and says, I need your help. And Jesus doesn't say, come back tomorrow, or I'm going to be preaching in Israel again next week. Do you want to come to the meeting? None of that. He is just so kind. He does the most costly thing, which is to listen to the woman, to listen to her plea and to engage spiritually with the deep desire of her heart. That take, how many of you know that takes effort? Really listening to someone and really being willing to step into their experience and understand where they're coming from, that takes a huge amount of effort. And Jesus, while he's tired, has these resources that just come out. There are times when, he, he, as I said, he'll cross the lake because he's tired, he wants to be alone. He sees the people like 
like sheep without a shepherd. And all of a sudden, you see this wave of ministry that comes through Jesus. And it comes from this deep spiritual place, the Father's heart moving through him and giving him ability to keep going. I love that. Whenever you have an issue, never think it's too much for Jesus. Never think this might not be a good time. It's always a good time for Jesus. He's got resources that we can't even imagine. So this woman comes and says, my little girl is possessed by a a demon. Let's talk about demons. (laughs) We don't always do that. Um, We don't like to give them too much airspace. But sometimes we have to talk about demons because demons are throughout the Gospels. Um, And I'm not going to spend the whole of the rest of this time um, talking about the demonic realm, Um, but we do need to refer to them. It's here. We need to engage with this. We don't like to engage with it. We like to kind of put it a little bit to one side. And maybe some of us like to rationalize the language by talking uh, about reworking the spiritual language into psychological language because we're more comfortable with it. But actually, we need to understand what Jesus is saying, and we need to learn how that affects us and the way that we deal with people. So we're not going to do a whole scriptural tour about Satan and the demonic realm and the way demons work, but it's enough to say that human beings can come under spiritual oppression that can present in all kinds of ways. We could talk about uncontrollable rage, people that have an anger that will flare up that they have very little control over, Uncontrollable addictions, where it's got a real grip on your life. Lusts, greed, power craving, uh, control, the need to control. Fear, anxiety, self-hatred, depression. All of these can have a spiritual root. They can be energized by a a spiritual entity. Uh, These can be powerfully energized by demons. Uh, and I know sometimes these things can be brought about by chemical imbalances. Uh, and, and that's why uh, we need to understand what's going on case by case. We need the Holy Spirit to show us what is it that we're working with here. You know, Sometimes we can trace when something began back to a trauma of some kind. And, and there's some healing that is needed. And then there's some of the grace of God that, that needs to come in. And just to clear out some of the mess that came as a residue off the back of that experience. There's all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit will lead us to be able to discern what is going on here. But there are often times, and I've known this in my own ministry, when someone is really stuck and they're really going through it. And there is something that's got a real grip on their life or a loved one. And you can only get so far and you hit an impasse. And you're hitting up against it and you say, God, what is it that we're dealing with here? How can this person find freedom? And often when the Holy Spirit shows you there is a spiritual root, and when you begin to pray against that, you begin to invite Jesus into that place of dysfunction to come and do a bit of a clear out job. Often it's at that point that a person begins to find freedom and release. And I've seen that pattern many, many times in ministry. Paul put it this way uh, in Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Jesus is still setting people free 
from these oppressive powers and influences in people's lives every day. If you are feeling like you're in a dark place right now, or, so, or something has increasingly got a grip on your life and robbed you of your freedom, it's okay to bring that to Jesus. It's a safe place to bring that and say, Jesus, would you set me free from this grip on my life? Would you set me free from this uncontrollable dysfunction that is absolutely robbing me of my peace? It is the place to bring it. You've got nothing to lose. Okay, we're going to come back to that a little bit in, it, towards the end. But I want to move on to this rather difficult saying about throwing food to dogs. Who amongst us, your ears pricked up at that point and thought, hmm, yeah, come on. Is Jesus being rude? Is he being horribly racist at this point? It could be read that way because the lead up to it says, since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, he said this. We also know that Jews described Syrians as the dogs. And it was a, it was a, a, a derogatory term designed to repaint them as subhuman. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, I, my grace is above you dogs? Or is he saying something else? I read in a few, com- a few commentaries over this one because I wanted to know what other people thought. I'm not going to throw it out in twos, don't worry. How would this woman have taken this statement? That's what I want to understand. What, how would this statement have come across to her in her ears? What does it mean to say it's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs? A number of scholars agree, and you'll be relieved to hear, that it's likely to be like a colloquial saying, a bit like our saying, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's not right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. A bit like saying, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It means, uh, so th- thinking about baby out with the bathwater, what does that mean? That, that means it means to throw out a good central idea just because a load of bad ideas and challenges have amassed around it. By trying to dismiss the bad ideas, you can sometimes lose sight of the main idea that you're trying to nurture, and then you end up with nothing. Okay? Let's not throw the big idea out just because we've got these challenges. So you're, in, you're throwing the important thing out with the unimportant things. In 2,000 years' time, if someone were to read that phrase, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that might sound a little bit shocking. They might say, what, they, they throw their babies out on the lawn or something with the bathwater? That sounds abusive. This saying of Jesus about children and dogs is a saying about priorities and order. This is one way of, of understanding what Jesus is saying. It's about priorities and order. The children should be fed first, and then the dogs, loved as they are. They get to eat the leftovers. If you do it the other way around, it doesn't work. Are you with me? Try feeding the dogs and then giving the children what's left. I've got two dogs and four kids. I'm telling you, that way does not work. My dogs are insatiable machines when it comes to food, uh, and I'm not sure my kids would want to eat the leftovers anyway. There is an order to things. There is a way you do things in, within a family. You can't, we might also use the phrase, you can't put the cart before the horse. It's the same way of saying there's an order to things. We love our sayings, don't we? Especially here in the countryside. And that's where Jesus was. So it could well be that he was just saying, you know, I'm not here to put the cart before the horse. I, I've got, there is an order to my ministry, to the way that I need to work. I have a specific mandate as the Messiah to the Jews, as the Savior to the people of Israel. My salvation message is going to come through the context of this rich history of Israel. I'm going to become the sacrificial lamb. I'm, it's going to take me all the way to Jerusalem. And then from the place of Jerusalem and me hanging on a cross, it's going to go global. But it's got to go that way. 
now is not my time to get sidetracked with ministry to the Gentiles because that is just going to attract so much heat for my ministry and it's going to short circuit what I'm trying to do. So I think what Jesus is saying here is, it's just not my time to minister to you. I, I have to be focused on the house of Israel first, for that is why I came. That is my specific mandate. Once again, he's trying to avoid the pressure of the crowds and stay focused on what he's there for. Are you with me? So this woman still could have got offended knowing that Jews did call Syrian people dogs, but she doesn't. Something in the way he said this reassured her that she could keep coming, that she wasn't going to give up at this point. There, was, there must have been love in his voice. Does that make sense? She doesn't just get offended and walk away thinking you're like the rest of them. She keeps coming. She uses the saying to justify her plea. She's a bit of a legend in my book. She refuses to step back because she's convinced that Jesus has what she ultimately needs, and that's authority and power to restore her daughter to peace. And Jesus is moved by her faith. Even though it's not his time, even though it's not strategic for him, he's moved by what he sees in this woman of her desperation, but also her deep trust in him that he is the solution to her daughter's struggle. And I don't know what that looked like in her daughter. The next bit says that she returned home and found her peacefully in her bed. Maybe she hadn't enjoyed a good night's sleep in a very long time. Night terrors, maybe it was that. Maybe she was so anxious she hadn't left the house in a very long time. Maybe it was self-hatred. She just didn't want to live anymore. Who knows? These things grip our children, don't they? And she knew that if, she, if Jesus could just say the word, she would be well. And I absolutely love that. She got her prayers answered, not because it was God's plan, but because God's heart was moved to perform wonders by her faith and persistence alone. The Lord is moved by us. Can you get your head around that? That your petitions are answered because he sees your faith, because he understands where you're coming from. How do you feel about changing God's mind just by your trust in him or for the person next to you? God has been inviting us into this kind of dynamic relationship of seeing his power poured out through relationship, through our faith with him, right throughout the scriptures. Go back to Abraham's time. Abraham negotiating with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Go back to Moses' time. Abraham negotiating with God. His faith in God moves God to action. It's amazing. Right throughout the scriptures, throughout the prophets, right up to Jesus. And then afterwards, we're invited into this relationship where we move God's heart by our trust in him our belief in who he is and his desire to heal. We can't set our children free from all their oppressions, but he can. And we want to come to Jesus in prayer to lay our petition before him and not let go until our kids are free. Amen? And let's just sit with verse 30 for a moment, that picture. I love it. When she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. What does that do to a mother's heart? Just imagine a place of torment, a place of fear, a place where there's nowhere to take it. It's, it's, uh, it, it's desperate. And her, imagine her returning home and just feeling the whole house feels different. It's like a light has been switched on in a gloomy room. It, there, there's a peace. There's a settledness. The beautiful fragrance of Jesus is throughout the house. And here's her little one sleeping sweetly with a, with a, with a light face. And what does that do to a mother's heart? something about the peace of Jesus when it comes in, which is so all-encompassing. Do you want to see more of that? I do, as we pray. She's, we want our little ones back. Well, Jesus has the 
ultimate authority over all principalities and powers that Paul describes. And in his name, the darkness does tremble. In his, at his word, the demons flee. When he enters a room, the darkness has to, to find. It, it just can't get away quick enough. It has to leave. John described Jesus as the light that was coming into the world, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has no answer to it. It, it cannot stand against it. Whenever we're dealing with demonic issues, it's not an equal contest. It's not something we need to enter into fear about. The only thing we need to do is bring in Jesus. Turn on the light. We don't go wrestling in dark places. We're not equipped for it. Jesus deals with it, okay? So it's not, when we start talking about dealing with the demonic, when we start dealing with oppression and things like that, don't get sucked into it. Walk with Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. Invite people to engage with Jesus. Bring Jesus into the center. And it's amazing how the atmosphere shifts. But there's more wonders in this chapter, so, and I'm running out of time. So, from verse 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. And a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man and to heal him. Who brought this guy to Jesus? The people. First, it was a mother bringing her daughter's plea to Jesus. Now it's the people, this guy's friends, bringing him to Jesus. Neither the daughter nor the man came themselves, particularly. They were brought to Jesus. I love this. This kind of shows us what our role is often. It's just get people to Jesus. Uh, and this, this guy obviously had some great friends. It was those who he was walking alongside who had heard about Jesus and said, right, what have you got to lose? Let's go. Let's go find him. It's, this is his mission community, his small group. Frog marched him to Jesus and said, can you help my friend? That's a great role to have. That is something that we can do for anyone. Never underestimate the importance of being a believing friend. Let's do all we can do to bring people to Jesus. Amen, Mavis. There's one over there. Verse 33. This is where it all gets interesting. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers in the man's ears. Then, spitting on his own fingers... He touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Aphatha, which means be opened. And instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. So once again, this man, Jesus leads this man away from the crowds. Anyone know, got any thoughts as to why Jesus wants this man away from the crowds? Again, it could be to do with his timing. It could be to do with keeping a low profile. It could be all sorts of things. We know he's refusing to play into the expectations of the crowds. But there's a third reason, I think, which I think is the best one for me. It's because he wants one-to-one time with this man. He wants to meet this man, just creature and creator, his maker and him together to resolve this issue. Jesus wants to perform an intimate transformation in this man's life. Uh, And it's not for entertainment. It's a private work of restoration. And then we have this strange healing method involving fingers in the ears and saliva on the tongue. What do you make of that? If we did that here, our safeguarding team would get involved. I can tell you that. One of the explanations I had, because I did a bit of reading around on this one as well, one of the explanations I had was that because this man couldn't speak and he, he couldn't hear, Jesus needed to do something quite visual to help him to understand what he was doing. And I quite like that. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm going to heal your ears, and I'm going to loosen your tongue. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's like that. My mind goes back to Genesis 2, where the creator formed man from the dust of the ground. He made a clay with the dust. 
maybe with spittle. And then he breathes into the nostrils of the man, and the man becomes a living being. And the man opens his eyes, and the first thing he sees is the loving, beaming face of his creator. For me, this is a moment where Jesus stands with one of his children who is broken. And the very essence of Jesus, who he is, has power to create to heal, to restore. This is a creative miracle. Jesus recreated his hearing system and his power of speech. So much power in Jesus. His touch, his close, intimate recreation was going on for this man. And one-on-one with Jesus, he's set free and he's remade. I just love that. There's a kind of poetry to it and there's an intimacy to it and that takes me back to Genesis 2. We human beings can do wonderful things with medical technology, but only Jesus can recreate whole faculties like this. The, he's the only one who can impart life with his breath or cure leprosy with his touch or create speech with his saliva. It's firmly his department, you'll be pleased to hear. So we, we don't really read about the disciples touching tongues with their saliva, as far as I know. Uh, but we do see them healing in his name. I think the closest we see to this is when Paul is in Ephesus, and they were taking his hankies and taking them to places. And people that touched the hanky that had touched him got, got well. There was such a strong presence of Jesus, such a strong anointing on the Apostle Paul, that by faith, they would say, right, I'm just going to touch you with that because everyone you seem to touch seems to get well because Jesus is with you. I'm going to touch you with that. I'm going to touch my sick friend. Hopefully, he'll get well. And I think the Holy Spirit was having such a lot of fun at the time. He's like, yeah, okay, let's do it that way. Uh, and, and that happened. That's the closest I think we get to this kind of contact. But the general rule is, Jesus says, when you want to heal, see healing, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There is this kind of contact that people need with God. And it's not us that does the healing. I've seen lots of people healed as I've prayed. I am not a healer. You'll find many people who claim to be healers here in Totnes. Jesus heals. I lay on hands as a symbol of what God is doing with a person. God is transferring his power, his essence, as, as the creator, as the redeemer, as the restorer, as the healer. He is the one that does the work. It is entirely supernatural, and I'm a very small part of the process. I'm a conduit at best. Jesus is the healer. Amen. Jesus calls us to do this. He sends us out, uh, and you see this. Uh, towards the end of his ministry, where he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. The Lord is meeting with people one-on-one all over the world right now, working his wonders. And just to encourage you, I thought it'd be good to bring it right up to date. Last week's uh, report from my good friend, Jonathan Conrath. Who knows Jonathan? He, uh, I went with Jonathan out to Rwanda back in, oh, hang on, 2011 or something like that. Makes me feel a bit old. I uh, had a wonderful time serving with him out there. Um, he's been back out lots of times since, and he's just been back out there last week. And uh, they had a really fruitful time just sharing Jesus with the people out there. And he says this, Yesterday was another great day of mercy and mission here in Rwanda. Through LifeLink24, which is the mercy arm of our ministry of Mission24, a hospital visit was arranged where we purchased supplies needed for the local hospital and delivered them as a gift to help their, with their ongoing work in the community. The team were also welcomed in to pray for people on the wards and salvations and healings followed. In the evening, the crowds gathered again to hear the good news of Jesus and this stillness of God's presence came over the crowd as we came to the time of appeal. I gave just one 
invitation to come. And this massive number made their way to the front, turned from their sins and to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then the miracles started to break out, with at least 20 visible tumors and growths disappearing, 12 totally blind eyes being opened, and many deaf ears hearing. And then the spontaneous joy came, erupting as an old woman who had not been able to raise herself up, yes, another one, for 10 years, was suddenly miraculously healed in the crowd and ran to the front to testify with tears of joy as she danced and glorified Jesus. That's beautiful. So much to give thanks for. We are deeply grateful for your prayers during this time. We have felt the impact of them. God's sustaining and empowering grace has rested on every aspect of the trip. Thank you for standing with us, and glory to God. That was last week. Does that encourage you? God loves to do these things. Let me finish with the last bit of this chapter. Verse 37. They were completely amazed and said again and again. Everyone say again and again. Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. I want to keep bringing people to Jesus. I want to keep throwing myself before him for our kids. I want to keep seeing people loosed from the enemy's grip and restored to peace in their beds. Amen? I want to keep laying hands and see the Creator restore people before our eyes. I want to see the glory of God break forth among us. I want to be a church that lives in amazement and have reason to say again and again, everything He does is wonderful. Don't you want to say that? Throughout every month, again and again and again, everything he does is wonderful because we're seeing the glory of God amongst us. Let's bring this into land. We're going to play a piece of music just to give ourselves some space to think. Well done for listening. It's important that we get hold of this once again, this desire to see God move. And I want to give you an opportunity to come with fresh faith today based on the word, based on Jesus' promise, based on who he is as the one and only God that can bring restoration and life. And I'm going to invite you to do something brave. Whether you want healing or you want release, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Maybe some of our prayer planning team can be available to pray with people. And if you are a friend of someone that needs a touch of God, I want you to come as well because our, our, our narrative today shows how powerful it is to bring a friend. Maybe there's someone burning on your heart. I want to encourage you to come. So can we all stand? And I'm going to pray. And we're going to take a few minutes just to come. And we're not going to pray lengthy prayers over you. This isn't a time for prophecy and counseling. This is a time just to ask Jesus to come and meet with us and shift something today in a way that only he can. Amen? So let's just take a moment. Come Holy Spirit. Come and lay it upon our hearts right now. That which we need from you, which only you can give. And we're going to pray. I want to encourage you, if there's something that comes to your heart now, something that comes to your mind, that you need a touch of God for, come to the front. And we're going to pray. We might want to make a bit of space, push some chairs back. Thank you.
We're going to draw this morning to a close. We're going to carry on praying, praying for people. So don't rush off.